Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. Here we are, Matt, in our studio. COVID is, oh no, it's wait, it's still here. But in some places in the country, it's not. I went to Midland Lab not too long ago. When you mentioned COVID, they are like, hey, wait, that's a thing that existed? And But anyway, I say that to say this. It's nice to be here in person. I came to the office. I saw a bunch of folks. And it's good to, to be in person with you, Matt. It is, I don't know, just the energy that you <laughs> feel when you get to be around other people. It was like yeah. a bunch of folks from accounting started coming to the office the other day. And it was like, I couldn't get down. The, normally, I go down one hallway and it takes like two seconds. And yeah. Then it was like, oh, my gosh, so great to see everybody. And just realizing how much we've kind of missed each other and especially the like, hey, I'm calling you because I have a problem versus the like, how are you doing? How's your family? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like a totally different thing. And I'm loving that this is where we're headed. It is. No, it's exciting. And and even just the little things, you know, as we were setting up in here in the hallway, we had a few interns walking through. And I'm sure for the young graduates, they're probably excited to be or, you know, people that were there in school are happy to be in an office with people. So even things like that, meeting people, shaking hands, it's great. So we're here in our office in the, in the Flowline studio. So hopefully we can knock the dust off of all our equipment here, which I think we did a pretty good job. And we'll tackle some technical drilling fluid stuff. What do you think? Love it. Perfect. So something that, an idea that popped into my head not too long ago, Matt, is, you know, we've covered a lot, we've covered a wide range of drilling fluids topics, you know, different systems, applications for different, you know, products, mud weight. I mean, you name it, we've basically covered almost all high level stuff, but something that popped into my head and is a product known as PHPA. Okay. And so there's different types, there's a PHPA system, then there's PHPA for different, you know, other little applications. And I think it it would be good to kind of clear the air and describe sort of a little bit of background as to what PHPA is from a molecular standpoint. And then really what you can use it for. Because I think on land, especially in unconventionals, it's taking a bit of technology and then kind of just scraping a little bit of it and then applying it in another area, which I don't know if it was necessarily designed for that. Where I was really exposed to PHPA was offshore. Right now, the Gulf of Mexico is not too active. So most of the PHPA being consumed is via drill pipe connections, you know, on drill pipe connections and down, you know, little bits here and there for sweeps. So yeah, just thought we could run through that and, you know, maybe share some stories along the way. What do you think? Love it. Cool. So, you know, first things first, we always like to get this out of the way. PHPA, what does it stand for and what is it? Partially hydrolyzed polyacrylamide. So this is a polymer. It's synthetic. It's modified. There's different ways to modify it, I think. But I think really the important thing from a molecular perspective is this is what's called a long chain polymer. So it's it's long. Yeah. That becomes important later because if you break it down and it gets shorter, it doesn't do the same job you hoped it would do. Mm-hmm. However, you know, the primary function, and there's some some offset benefits to this, is it's a really great shale inhibitor that's environmentally friendly. It's relatively cheap. It's, you know, I think offshore, it really helped water-based mud become a thing you could do for a lot of these intermediate sections. And basically what it does is that long chain polymer, it will basically absorb onto the edges of, of clay so water can't get inside. We call it, you know, encapsulation for lack of a better description. Yeah. So that makes your cuttings nice and big as opposed to 
clay swollen all over and dispersed throughout the fluid. And then if you think about that happening on the wellbore walls, they get nice and slick and smooth. And so you get a more gauge wellbore. Right. That makes sense. So talking about PHPAs, I think most people are familiar with the liquid version, but are there different versions of PHPA or is it kind of off the shelf? Here's PHPA and here's what you get every time. Well, it's interesting because we've talked about dry and liquid additives and generally speaking, liquid additives are more expensive, right? They're predispersed, and so it helps with polymer yielding and that sort of thing. And PHPA is one of the ones that I think very commonly you see is is a liquid. However, it's not as active. So if you want 100% active, you can get a dry sack of PHPA. Mixing it is requires a little bit more patience. Mm-hmm. And so you're more likely to have fish eyes and you know just other issues with mixing it. And so you see a lot more liquid because it's just so easy to use. And so that's sort of the trade-off. But the other format you can get is in a stick form, which is basically just large enough where on a connection or something like you're describing, you drop it down the pipe and basically it solubilizes as you're circulating and then comes up the annulus and provides a nice, you know, slug of treatment. Yeah. It also provides some viscosity so it can act as a little sweep as well. Right. That's interesting talking about sweeps. It's funny because, you know, I think, and again, my, my drilling fluid history may not be on par, but you know, it initially was designed to help inhibit and encapsulate clays. And so, you know, drilling with it at a, at a fairly high concentration was, I think, the objective. Whereas, you know, people found in time where if you had quite a bit of clay content in your mud, a higher MBT, or just, you know, if you're using a gel system, well, you throw some PHPA in there, it's going to want to bind to all those, you know, free floating clay particles before it attaches itself to the wellbore, because it doesn't discriminate. It's going to find the path of you know, what's easiest to grab onto. And so I was like, wow, if you add this stuff to a gel system, you're going to get some pretty high viscosities. So, you know, with regards to that, like we're talking about mixing it and stuff, and, and we'll get more into to sort of the limitations and applications, different styles, but kind of before that, talking about mixing it, what's the best way and how do you typically add a PHPA to your drilling fluid system? So, I mean, I think kind of starting from the most basic is you need this stuff to hydrolyze. I guess when you think about mixing, there's a few things to keep in mind, but one is there's basically what's called a hydrodynamic volume, which is you think about, you're, let's say you're adding a pound per barrel of PHPA. That doesn't sound like a lot for all the formation and cuttings and everything you encounter to actually effectively inhibit. Mm-hmm. But what you actually have when it's properly hydrated is you've extended out all these polymer chains that some of those areas have areas where they don't like each other. So they sort of spread out some more. And it's this hydrodynamic volume means you're covering up a very large area, much larger than the polymer on its own, like one chain of polymer. Sure. So we want it properly dispersed and hydrated. And so that's sort of the goal, once again, where that liquid stuff offers some bang for your buck. But, you know, then, you know, mixing dry and it's sort of, you know, one of the tricks is you you want to give it some shear to mix it up, but you don't want to shear it so much that you break down those long chains right. because then it's not going to attach to the polymer. And I mean, kind of to your point with imparting viscosity and attaching, it's worth noting that a lot of this basic kind of PHPA molecule gets modified as things like flocculants. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you can flocculate a mud with PHPA. Right. So, In Canada, we'd flock water drill and it, there would be this separate tank would be basically an open top tank with an auger at the bottom. And you would add like a really high molecular long chain PHPA at one end. And then the, it would just, it would grab onto stuff and it would get heavy. And as the density of that sort of glob, it would eventually fall and it would aug out. 
but yeah, so that's another interesting part of PHPAs and and different type of you know polymers that can really again what they're what trying to do is grab onto solids, and so you know cleaning up your system to flock water drill is one way of doing that. And so you know a lot of experience I had even with respect to mixing was as simple as you know, instead of dropping a stick before it was put a, you know, a cup, of, a mud cup worth of PHPA, dump that down the pipe, every connection, for example. Yeah. And so like you, you can go from the really, really basic, but when you get to a full system, you know, it becomes a little bit more of an orchestrated event, especially when you're mixing fresh mud. So a lot of times what you want to do is have a good batch of it and just be bleeding it into the system. Right. Because Keep in mind that this stuff gets consumed, right? It absorbs onto that clay. The clay gets carried out as a big cutting, hopefully. Yeah. It gets separated at the shakers. And so you've got to replenish that. You know, some rules of thumb I've seen are, you know, one pound per cubic foot drilled, five pounds per barrel of hole drilled was another one. I'm kind of doing a little bit of background. Yeah. But you have to keep replenishing this stuff. And, you know, as if you've ever had to quantify it and do that beloved ammonia extraction test, where, yes, if you raise the pH enough, you can release ammonia. You can also measure what's released and quantify that. Right. But kind of trying to get back to the idea of, of mixing it, let's say you're mixing, you know, pre-mix, best way to go if possible. It can be as basic sometimes if you're just doing maintenance additions of opening up the jug and dumping some in mm-hmm. over the top. Yeah. But then if you're, let's say you're mixing a big system, you're working with dry stuff, perhaps offshore, this sort of becomes an orchestra or in a, in a big system where I think it's more of an art than a science. Yeah. And I'll be careful what I say here because Chris Campbell, if you're listening, I don't need that phone call. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> everyone call Chris. Right. And, I tried uh, to get him on and, you know, full disclosure, he just keeps avoiding us. So if we say anything that he doesn't agree with, well, he had the opportunity to be here right now to correct us and he's not. So that's on him. I will leave it on Justin Goche to <laughs> call the gentleman out. I'll fight him. <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch. Yeah. Mud wrestle. That's what we're going to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but a few things to think about. So let's say you're mixing a, you know, xanthan pack, that kind of stuff. Like get all that stuff together, get your bayrite mixed in really well, because guess what? We mentioned this is a flocculant. Mm. You start adding a bunch of PHPA and that stuff isn't, the bayrite isn't well dispersed and hydrated. You'll just start dropping it out of the bottom of the tank. And so what you see a lot of folks say is, is definitely add PHP last and, definitely keep an eye on it as it's going in because it imparts enough viscosity that depending on the system, you could lock it up in the pit while you're mixing it Yeah, because I've done it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I've never physically done that, but I had, you know, a little backstory is we were, you know, drilling well and there was a, a mud guru that all of a sudden got hired on for this operator that we had a handful of rigs with. And they wanted to go from sort of a low solids, non-dispersed system to a full blown PHPA system in an area that really didn't require it. But this gentleman was had experience offshore and just thought that was the, the key to the kingdom. So anyway, he convinced our mud engineer to add to a pretty high gel concentrated system on surface. While we were tripping, he said, let's get ahead of this. We need, I think he wanted like a quarter pound per barrel excess in the system. Because a lot of time you measure your excess to make sure that you've got enough in the system and then a certain amount of excess. Somehow he calculated like 42 buckets of this thing on like a 350, 400 barrels surface system. So anyway, long story short, our mud engineer was like, okay, well you work for the operator. And so I'm probably going to do what you're telling me to do at 11 o'clock at night. Well, you know, we proceed to then lock up the system and you can probably guess what happens after that. It certainly wasn't his fault. It was all on us, but regardless, it was a long time ago, but yeah, you have to surely be careful adding it. And if you're going to add a significant amount, 
hopefully you don't have a high clay concentration in your system because it will, I mean, naturally the viscosity will go get extremely high and maybe so thick that you can't use the system. So certainly something to be aware of. Yes. And I will add another way that rig hands have a tendency to overtreat the system when you're using sticks <laughs> is if the salesman comes out with those camouflage paint buckets with like the padded seat on it filled oh, yeah. with the sticks. Yeah. And then they use as many as they possibly can because those buckets are highly sought after. Yeah. Perfect for a deer stand. Yeah. And so I always got a kick out of how much consumption, you know, went up when it went from a box to a bucket. Like someone's like, hey, I could use that. Let's empty right. that out. Yeah. Yeah. Where um, all the pH or the, yeah, pH basics go? They're in the system, but check out the bucket I got. <laughs> yeah. That didn't last long. Yeah. That became a problem. Yeah. But I think, you know, there are some pretty standard ways to try and bleed PHPA back into the system. A lot of folks who are experienced with this would swear that, yes, you can mix, you can mix dry, get it in some fresh water. Make sure it hydrates, but you're not stuck. You don't have to use liquid. From a maintenance perspective, liquid's a lot easier than, you know, but when you're dealing with a whole system, when you're dealing with large volumes, just make sure that you're not surprised. And certainly there are some good kind of guidelines on how to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get too lost in the weeds just because, if it, one, I'd get it wrong because <laughs> I don't have that much experience actually mixing it. Yeah. But two, you see how much of it, goes from understanding a product versus using a product. Yeah. And I think this is where, you know, we talk so much about how great our people are as far as we have great products. Don't get me wrong. I really believe that we have great products, but they're nothing without the person yeah. at the hopper knowing how to utilize them at the right time, the right place to save the customer money yeah, and avoid mistakes for that matter. Right. And PHPA is no exception. It's this cheap, basic system that the reason people who worked offshore swear by it is they saw how well it worked mm -hmm. on really difficult, highly reactive sections. Yeah. And so there's an inclination to try and use it a lot of other places and it may have that space, but PHPA can be expensive when you use it incorrectly. Right. Just as much as it can generate a lot of value when you do it right. Yeah. No, there's a lot of product hacking out there. You know what I mean? It's like there's a product designed for one reason, but then people will find a way to use it in another, which is totally fine. It's being creative, but you just have to understand the limitations and sort of the trade-off with doing that. So one thing, Matt, I guess kind of to, to maybe help kind of bridge the gap is we're talking about sweeps and we're talking about systems. And, you know, I, I guess what would be a determining factor and okay, when would we use it as a full system versus when can you just use it as a sweep to help clean the hole because it's cheap and it's easy because you can just pop the top and dump a bit in a slugging pit and away you go. I mean, I think some of that is, you know, what you're used to. I think in some of these lower cost environments, it's just pretty obvious. Like we need a little bit of help, but we don't need a lot. And I think the sweeps, as much as maybe they help with hole cleaning, they do stick to some of those reactive formations. So, you know, out in West Texas, we use this stuff all the time, you know, in our surface or shallow intermediate kind of stuff, because there are some reactive formations there. And even if it's like, okay, I'm not gumboed out and that sort of thing, pumping a couple of sweeps can help with conditioning the wellbore. Yeah. Like you said, it can help get some of those nasty solids out before they you know, disperse and kind of ruin everything. Yeah. And it's cheap, right? It just, it makes a lot of sense. So then I think when you get to long reactive formations where, you know, you don't have really heavy mud weights, mm -hmm. then it makes a lot of sense. And this is why those intermediate sections offshore, it made a lot of sense. Yeah. So just relatively low cost, 
you could drill the whole thing, get really engage hole, but the whole section was reactive. It wasn't just a couple of, you know, beds here and there. It was troublesome all the way down. Right. No, that's so you kind of going back to, to those long troublesome sort of highly reactive upper hole sections. If you don't need density for hole stability, but more you need chemical inhibition, just straight water, PHPA, and, and even supplementing it with amine. I mean, again, mm-hmm. tying it back to my experience in Canada, a large majority of upper hole sections you drill out from underneath surface with flock amine PHPA, and you'd carry some excess and you would have clear water at the suction and it would have a pretty juiced up concentration of amine and PHPA. And you could scream through those clay sections and then still you know, before, and then once you would mud up, then you would discontinue these additions because amine and PHPA want to attach itself to clay. So then you could kind of swap it and go from there. So that's another, and we don't see that down here very often, maybe in the Rockies, but that's another application for those who have not really been exposed to it. That's, that's another area that we've seen some pretty good benefit getting as deep as you can with water because you have the ROP benefits, but by doing water, you have no fluid loss. So you need something to inhibit the clays. So that that's a, again, another approach as well. So I didn't even know you could use PHPA in sweeps. And granted, most of my experience has been down in the U.S., but it was interesting to when I came down here, seeing people add it for sweeps. I was like, oh, okay, well, normally we use it in a flock water system. And then people would look at me funny like, flock what? <laughs> so yeah, again, I know, the yeah. Canadian me, I'm biased. You know, I'm plugging the, my Canadian brethren up there that probably aren't doing too much of the flock water drilling or any drilling for that matter. <laughs> so, but anyway. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I will say that you know, when something's hydrated, it's hydrated, right? So like, you're only going to get so much mileage out of pumping sweeps. But if you're carrying it throughout the system, you're actually deploying that PHPA before the water can get to it. Yeah. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. But for a little touch of it, it works great. It does a lot of different things. And so I think, you know, when you're running a a system, it's sort of balancing that out and and circling back to some of the things you said about working with an amine. Remember, we talked about high-performance water-based muds. One of the the things we talked about was they have a lower molecular weight shell inhibitor for encapsulation. Well, that's so the PHP is a high molecular weight, but yeah. concept is the same. Doesn't impart as much viscosity. There's other things, but it's not going to be as inhibitive. One of the things that is very complementary with that is the powerful amine that's included in a high performance water based mud. Yeah. So you can certainly see those relationships as far as maximum inhibition and and trying to get that performance. Yeah. No, excellent. So, man, with that said, I don't really don't have any other questions. You know, again, it's a pretty basic topic, but there's definitely, you know, I'm sure people have experience with it. I'm pretty limited. Matt, what else can we talk? Was there anything else that comes to mind? I think, you know, on the drilling side, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about maintenance. I think I mentioned shear degradation. I think one thing I wanted to mention, we, we talked about hydrolysis, but mm. you want to pre-treat with bicarb if you're going to drill cement. As we mentioned, very high pH does some nasty things. Mm-hmm. You probably want to keep your pH below 10, 10, no more than 10 and a half for sure. Yeah. Same reason. It really likes about a pH between eight and nine. Yeah. I was going to say most of my experience has been with a neutral pH. Yeah. So. You know, it's, if you can avoid caustic because immediately at the site where you add it, it's going to cause that hydrolysis and smell. Right. So soda ash is definitely the way to go in, in my opinion. And then the mud can appear pretty thick when it cools. So when you start when you start circulating, start breaking it over, you may need to use some pretty coarse screens to avoid losses. Mm. Also keep in mind though, if if the PHP is doing its job, you'll have large cutting. So hopefully you're still getting good solids control on that front. Right. You know, I think calcium, keep your calcium down. Uh, okay. Uh, PHPA really doesn't like calcium. 
It's going to take more of it if you have like sodium chloride or potassium chloride. It's going to take considerably more. Once again, that hydrolysis component, the water is important for the PHPA to perform, ironically enough. Right. And actually, that kind of brings back some memories there is, is if you're in an area where you're drilling with PHPA and you know you're going to be drilling through some anhydrate stringers, that's where you can pick up a bunch of calcium as well. Not so much from product additions, but naturally occurring calcium from a formation is one to consider as well. Yes. And, you know, I, th- I think the other thing is like after trips, you start circulating bottoms up and it flocculates, right? So yeah, you get yeah. a little more time, it gathers some things, they fall out. Then you go to bottoms up and you get this avalanche of garbage. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you're already a good bond engineer, so you're already by the shakers, but you're going to really want to be by the shakers. And because you listen to this podcast, you're not going to act so surprised at all the garbage that comes back. Yeah, exactly. So, and it's doing its job. Yeah. yeah. You just got to you know tell the, the company representative, hey, once we get this bottom up out, you know, clean up the hole, we'll be fine. This is not the hole in loading. It's all the junk that's sitting around, floating around, getting brought up. So this is a good thing. You don't want that stuff downhole, obviously. Another thing too, you know, again, it's sometimes things are designed for one reason, but used for another is oftentimes people will juice up the system for a casing rung to make it slick. And now granted, I don't think I would necessarily, if you've done it in an area where you know it, you can get away with it, but you obviously don't want it to get too thick where you have issues with casing and then you blow the bottom out because your mud's so (laughs) thick and your ECDs are through the roof or your surge pressures are through the roof. But I've seen if you've got a low mud weight and you're basically drilling with water, spotting something to run casing in a, st- in a sticky sort of section, you know, certainly can help too sometimes. Yeah, it'll impart a little bit of lubricity and, and help with some of the wellbore quality. Yeah, and ironically enough, you know, the flip side of that, you probably don't really want to thin your mud. So that's the other side is, oh, you know, we got a cement job. Let's lower our ECD by having a thinner fluid. Normally, you don't want to just all of a sudden aggressively dilute a system like this. It's going to create more problems than it solves. So that would probably be the converse of that. But I've definitely heard of of spotting some rich PHPA to to slick things up. And obviously, you've got the ECD window and you're comfortable doing that. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, good deal, Matt. Any closing last words? I know you're always a, a good closer. Well, now that you put me on the spot, I don't really have anything to say. But, you know, PHPA made a dramatic impact on the industry. And that's, I think, why you hear people really passionate. And even when you talk about drilling certain sections, oh, let's do a PHPA system. I've heard heard folks get excited about this in West Texas. And, you know, my only response is, like we always say, it's a tool in the toolbox. Mm -hmm. And let's make sure that's where it belongs because... If it worked really well in one place that was really reactive, it might not make the difference in a place that's not as reactive. But let's look at all the tools at our disposal and figure out what works. But PHBA has been so impactful and so cost effective, it needs to be in everybody's toolbox. Yep. So that's exactly well, good. With that being said, everyone out there, please, if you could leave a review, hit us up on LinkedIn, if you have any questions or comments, or if you have a good story, you know, we'd love to hear about it. If you worked offshore or anywhere in the world that used a polymer PHPA type system, we'd love to hear about it. Matt, I'm excited to announce that I've got a real lunch in person. So I'm going to close up and head downtown for lunch with a customer today. That's fabulous. And as you know, my reputation is try and tag along to these things (laughs) in an effort to get free lunch. But I have zero business case this time around, Okay, <laughs> um, but my reputation precedes me and I think all of our account managers and anybody entertaining a customer knows I am available. Right. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, with that said, everyone be safe. I would say wear your mask, but now CDC is changing things, but not to get too involved with that. Things are looking good. I say that. So anyways, closing out, have a good one. Be safe, everyone. Take, Take care. care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. 
And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.